<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Welcome to The Diplomat, brought to you by Newsweek. I'm your host, Jason Greenblatt. With tensions rising across the world, diplomacy is needed perhaps now more than ever. During my time as former White House Middle East envoy, and as one of the chief architects of peace between Israel and its Arab neighbors, I've had the chance to witness the power of diplomacy firsthand, and today, I would like to share that perspective with you. Shalom, salam, and welcome to The Diplomat. The Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, the JCPOA, also known as the Iran Nuclear Deal, or just the Iran Deal, entered into by President Obama, cast off by President Trump, now continuously being chased after by President Biden, is in trouble. Deep trouble. The deal ended economic sanctions on Iran in exchange for temporary limits. Let's make sure we understand that. It only put temporary limits on Iran's nuclear activities. It also gave Iran fortunes of money to continue its terror and other malign activity throughout the Middle East and beyond. Here's what Secretary of State Blinken said in December. What we will not allow uh, is for Iran to, in effect, tread water at talks and if not come forward with any uh, meaningful uh, and, and serious propositions for, finally, for resolving the outstanding issues to returning to compliance. But the reality is we did just that. President Biden's been in office since January 2021 and has allowed Iran to tread water and gallop toward becoming a nuclear power over the past 18 months. President Biden blames President Trump for abandoning the Iran deal. But in the meantime, for 18 months, he's been allowing Europeans to negotiate on behalf of the United States, while Iran has made no secret of its continued strong progress toward becoming a nuclear power. In early July, Rafael Grassi, the head of the International Atomic Energy Agency, warned that we are reaching a defining moment for global nuclear non-proliferation, in which the risks of the spread of nuclear weapons pose a problem for everyone. He pointed out that we're now in a situation where Iran's neighbors could start to fear the worst and plan accordingly. There are countries in the region today looking very carefully at what is happening with Iran, and tensions in the region are rising. It's not a secret that some political leaders have openly stated that they would actively seek nuclear weapons, if Iran were to pose a nuclear threat. Rob Malley, the Biden administration's lead negotiator, said about the deal, you can't revive a dead corpse. White House Middle East coordinator Brett McGurk just said a few days ago that it's highly unlikely the JCPOA will be revived in the near future. During his trip to the Middle East, President Biden said that the U.S. wouldn't wait forever for Iran to respond to its proposal to revive the deal. What does that mean, forever? That's so vague. We've already waited 18 months. Let's be more precise. Does he mean he won't wait until the end of his term as president? Then let him say that. What's with the dramatic language about waiting forever? At the moment, he's only president until January 2024. That's a far cry from forever. And on July 26th, EU foreign policy chief Joseph Borrell, the lead on the mediation efforts between the U.S. and Iran, 
said that after 15 months of negotiations, the space for additional significant compromises has been exhausted. So are we just postponing the inevitable? Is the Biden administration ready to accept the fact that diplomacy has failed and now they have to make a choice between accepting a nuclear-armed Iran or beginning a military confrontation that could create yet another war in the Middle East? Will it be another endless war? Is there a different solution that they're not telling us about? Is there even a solution? And if there isn't a solution, should we admit that out loud? America and the world are dealing with very significant instability, far greater than at any other time in recent years. Russia attacking Ukraine, Iran providing armed drones to Russia to help in that attack, further destabilizing Europe, an almost nuclear-armed Iran, China threatening the United States with severe consequences if Speaker Pelosi visits Taiwan, and these are on top of other trouble spots that have been ongoing for years in Syria, Lebanon, Yemen, and elsewhere. All of this on top of the economic crises here in the U.S. and around the world, runaway inflation, staffing issues with ripple effects on the economy and air travel, continuing supply chain issues, uncertainty regarding COVID. Huh, are you tired yet? So what's to be done? Here's President Biden. We will not, let me say it again, we will not allow Iran to acquire a nuclear weapon. He also said that his preferred path is diplomacy. Here's President Biden. This is a vital security interest of both Israel and the United States, and I would add, for the rest of the world as well. I continue to believe that diplomacy is the best way to achieve this outcome, and will continue to work with Israel to counter other threats from Iran throughout the region, including support for terrorism, ballistic missile program that continues, and the proliferation of weapons to terrorists and proxies like Hezbollah. Does President Biden have a plan to make good on this promise? Is he prepared to attack Iranian nuclear facilities to make good on that promise? What will be the consequences of such an attack? The U.S. becoming stuck in another war? And if it doesn't do anything, are these just empty words? Then what happens? Brett McGurk said that the Biden administration intends to use sanctions and diplomatic isolation against Iran, but not needlessly escalate the situation and use force only as a last resort. Is that really going to work? Isn't that what President Trump did once he canceled the deal? But when President Trump did that, other countries, including allies in Europe, wanted to work around the sanctions, and they didn't isolate Iran. Is isolation of Iran even realistic now? Russia's not going to isolate Iran. Other significant countries won't either. Are we really counting on that strategy to work when it didn't work before because numerous countries wouldn't work with us on that strategy? Why do we think things will be different this time? These are tough questions, and so far, we don't have any answers. All we have are words. Does President Biden have the plan to make these words a reality? Or is he deeply hoping that he'll wave a magic wand of diplomacy and all these troubles will go away? Interestingly, according to Axios, Brett McGurk said that the divergence of views with Israel isn't about the issue of a possible military strike, but about whether the U.S. should still try to revive the Iran nuclear deal or shift to pushing for a longer and stronger deal. But wait, the Biden administration dropped those words longer and stronger many months ago. We weren't going to sign a longer and stronger deal. We were asking just to go back into the original deal, that bad deal that just delayed Iran from creating nuclear weapons and then gave them permission to do so. And it gave them a lot of money, which they used to wreak havoc around the Middle East. I'm wondering why Brett is going back now to that language of longer and stronger. I hope the press asks him for an explanation on that comment. Ehud Barak, a former prime minister of Israel, published an opinion piece in Time with the title, 
Iran can transform itself into a nuclear power, and it's too late to stop it by surgical attack. Well, that's not a great headline. Is he right? According to Barak, in 2018, Iran was 17 months away from having enough highly enriched uranium for one nuclear device and the technology to make it a weapon. Today, he says, they're probably just 17 days away. 17 days. Let that sink in. Barak points out that it will still take Iran 18 to 24 months to properly treat the metal uranium and pack it into a missile warhead. But these steps can't easily be followed or stopped. According to Ayad Barak, we have to accept the fact that after more than 20 years of trying, Iran is about to become a member of the nuclear club. Do we have a plan B? Not according to Barak. He explains that while Plan B was probably achievable when Iran was 17 months away from shifting from a civilian nuclear program to a weapons-making program, but now that they're in the last stages, these can be done in very small spaces, in very deep tunnels, beyond the reach of any weapon. The bottom line, Barak says, is that surgical strikes that might have been considered only a few years ago and may have increased the possibility of war with Iran, but may have substantially delayed the Iranian nuclear program. Now, we have an increased risk of war with Iran, with a very limited likelihood of delaying Iran's nuclear program. His advice at this late stage to stop Iran from becoming a nuclear power is to give Iran an ultimatum to stop its program or risk a wide-scale war. And let's remember that the nuclear threat, while severe, is only one of the major threats of Iran against its neighbors and others. Iran attacks Israel and others directly and through its proxies— the bloodthirsty terrorists Hamas, Hezbollah, Houthis, all terrorists controlled and funded by Iran, causing much chaos and destruction. If the Iranian regime has nuclear capabilities, then others in the region will feel like they need the same capabilities. Imagine multiple countries in the region, a very volatile, tense region, having nuclear capabilities. And imagine more that some terrorist organization gets its hands on a nuclear device. So what do we do now? First, let's recognize where we really are. Then, let's keep pushing for increased intelligence cooperation among our friends and allies in the Middle East. Israel and Saudi Arabia, together with the UAE, Qatar, and others, should work together to see as much as possible about what's happening in Iran. They should work together against the increased volume and sophistication of cyber attacks from Iran. Cyber attacks between Israel and Iran, by the way, are growing, becoming far more public and far more serious. The Abraham Accords countries, together with others such as Saudi Arabia and Qatar, are much stronger fighting this together than apart. Building cooperation between Israel and its Arab neighbors is a crucial step for these countries to protect themselves and the many incredible projects and societal changes they're in the midst of undertaking. These countries, whether they're part of the Abraham Accords or not, together with the U.S., should be working together hand-in-hand with whatever intelligence operations they can muster. And the U.S. should lead with very, very tough sanctions to put pressure on Iran to stop its nuclear march forward. Some argue that the U.S. should convince Turkey, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, and others in the region that the U.S. will protect them from Iran so these countries themselves don't turn to nuclear weapons. But that's not going to be easy. Can the U.S. make that commitment? How does the U.S. make that commitment? And what do these countries think about whether they can actually rely on that commitment? What lessons can and should these countries learn from the attack on Ukraine and how the U.S. and other countries have been reacting to the attack on Ukraine. Is there hope that the murderous mullahs will one day no longer control Iran? Who knows? If that happens, things could get better, but that's not a bet I would want to make. So where are we today? No, we're good. 
a bad Iran deal on life support where the president wants to try to revive it. If it's revived, we're stuck with a deal which Iran will almost certainly not abide by, and even if they do abide by it, they'll be free to manufacture nuclear weapons pretty quickly. And they're going to receive piles and piles of money to continue their terror attacks all across the Middle East, against Saudi Arabia, the UAE, Israel, and other countries in the region. And it will likely lead to a nuclear arms race in the Middle East. And if the deal ends up dead, it seems we may not have an effective plan B. Did we and others drop the ball? Or is there something hiding in someone's pocket that we don't know about that may prevent a disaster? I don't know, but if there's no plan B, then we're in deep trouble. In the meantime, are we working on tough sanctions and trying to rally other countries to respect those sanctions this time and to isolate Iran? Or are we just going to let others avoid respecting the sanctions and let them enrich Iran so they can enrich uranium? Are we trying hard to convince our friends and allies in the Middle East to work together on intelligence gathering and sharing and fighting cyber and other attacks together? And if we're working hard, are they working with us on that? I don't know, but I sure hope so. These are tough times right now at home and abroad. Thanks for listening. Remember, my new book about the Middle East is out. You don't want to miss this book. There's so much in this book about these issues. Order your copy today. Go to Amazon and search In the Path of Abraham or go to inthepathofabraham.com and order your copy today. Thanks for listening. And until next time, I'm Jason Greenblatt. This is The Diplomat, brought to you by Newsweek.